0: When you hear the word give, maybe it makes you want to turn the radio dial, but you know, there's an incredible story at the end of the gospel of Mark chapter 12, and it's about the widow, the poor widow. Jesus watched how she gave and what she gave, and she gave all that she had, and Jesus said she outgave everybody. Wouldn't you love the Lord to say something like that about you? Well, that's today on walk in truth welcome to walk in truth with michael lance walk in truth is a ministry of living truth christian fellowship it's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with god's truth to all people and now here's pastor michael jesus has a unique priesthood it's a forever priesthood in fact right now Brothers and sisters, he's at the right hand of the Father in the book of Hebrews as it lays out his high priestly ministry says, he ever lives to intercede, guess for who? For you. He's fighting the battle, if you will, for you. It it appears he prays in heaven for you. He's there as your helper. He's pictured in Hebrews 4 at, at a throne of grace that you might find mercy and help in your time of need. I was visiting a church member at the hospital last night and we were talking a little bit about the Lord and you know how there's always that curtain with the mystery patient next door. You don't really know who that person is, but there's that curtain there. And anyway, uh, we are talking about the Lord and this, this male nurse walked up and said, Yo, you can come to the throne of grace, man, boldly. And I'm like, amen. Have you ever noticed there's Christians everywhere? Even when you feel alone in the hospital, you never know that mystery patient behind the curtain who might be listening. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) The Lord, look at verse five, Psalm 110, is at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Uh, Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now this incredible picture, Jesus has reached back here for a reason because this Psalm is making it clear that Jesus is divine. He's come down from heaven to save us. Go all the way to the book of Hebrews. Just wanna show you one more passage all the way towards the end of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter one. This is some incredible stuff, and I'd like to spend, I could spend hours teaching on this, but for the sake of time, let's just move to verse five of Hebrews one, where it's picking up this idea of the exaltation of Jesus as he's compared to angels and to Moses and so forth. Hebrews one, verse five, is what you want. After the writer tells about Jesus coming in, he's the God's final word, Hebrews 1, 2. He, verse three, he is the radiance of his glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the subject, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, Hebrews 1.3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now this is what the Psalm 110 is teaching. He sat down at that position of glory and privilege and honor. Having become as much better than the angels, Hebrews 1.4, as he has inherited a, a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels, verse five, did he, God the Father, ever say, thou art my son? You could write in your Bible, To none. God never said that to an angel, you are my son. Notice, today I have begotten thee, and again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Look, brothers and sisters, here's here's it very simple. The Father is calling upon all the angels to worship the Son, Jesus Christ. Now God, we know he has, he, has a, he has a dim view on many things. One thing he has a dim view about is anybody else getting worship except for him. Yet in the heavenly councils, if you will, he is commanding angels to worship the Son. What does that tell you about Jesus' nature? What does that tell you about his identity? He must be God. God the Father's not gonna, gonna command angels to worship anyone except one who is God. And some of you are saying, oh, Pastor Michael, my head hurts. This is that Trinity stuff, right? Yeah, here's how it works. The Bible teaches it, and when you begin to look at the scriptures, you can see that the Bible teaches one God, and yet three personalities that are all called God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We got a question on the Bible Answer Show this week. Joe Kelly put it well. Here's the way to think about the triune God. He's one what and three who's? One what? and three who's. One God, by nature or essence, but three personalities, three centers of consciousness, all are God, and all are distinct from one another. For example, at the baptism of Jesus, when he is coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit is descending in the form of a dove, the heavens open, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am Well, please. Scholars like to say you have a subject-object distinction between the persons of the Trinity. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. They are distinct, and yet they are one. Jesus was not in the Jordan River throwing his voice up to the heavens. He was not being a ventriloquist. Uh, Not throwing his voice. There's actually a distinction between the persons of the Godhead yet they are one in essence. You say, Pastor Michael, how do you, could you put it up on a chalkboard? Nope. (laughs) Because any illustration I would try to use for you to grasp that, humanly speaking, would break apart, because we're talking about the nature of God. People say, well, if I can't understand it, I'm not gonna believe it. Really? Can you understand in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? spoke them into existence do you have the mechanics of that one well no I don't even know how my car starts in the morning frankly (laughs) but it does there's other people in the room who know how it works here's the point you don't have to completely be able to comprehend it you can apprehend it because it's what the Bible teaches and it's telling you that God in many ways is unfathomable when we see him what are we going to see You know, John describes God as refracted colors in Revelation four and five, and this incredible scene of this throne and angels falling down and 24 elders, and yet we see a lamb there. And how will we see him? We're apparently gonna see the wounds in his hands, and his side. We're gonna experience his humanity. What we believe is that he's gonna be human forever. He's forever the God-man. Isn't that amazing? In in the future ahead of us, we're gonna spend time with our Savior and see his eyes, and see the scars, and hear his voice, and see his face. That's what the Bible's telling us. And so this this is the incredible nature of who Jesus is. Look at verse seven. And of the angels, he's going back between the Son and the angels, verse seven, Hebrews one. He says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, but of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Father, in Hebrews 1.8, calls the Son God. Of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. His throne will never end. That's from uh, Psalm 45, six and seven. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou has loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. And, continuing with the discussion about the sun, thou, Lord, in the beginning did lay the foundation of the earth, Jesus is the creator. And the heavens are the uh, works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. They all will become old as a garment, and as a mantle thou will roll them up. As a garment they will all also be changed, but thou art the same. How long thy years will not come to an end? Hebrews 13:8 is something you should write in your Bible there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is God. You know, people often downplay the power of who Jesus Christ is, but he is declared to be the son of God by power, by virtue of the resurrection. Another uh, verse that you'd wanna look at is Romans 1, verses one through four, showing both his human and divine nature. Here we have God's portrait of Jesus Christ. He, we have seen him in the preeminent offices of king and high priest and so forth. A man who says, I'm reading from an author now, that Jesus Christ is anything less than this, God in human flesh, almighty God, makes God out to be a liar. God says that his son is preeminent in all things. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to you? It means everything, because I call Jesus my savior and my Lord, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Everything that is his, he says, is mine. This is what it means to know the heart of Christ in terms of his identity. That's the first part of the sermon. Second part of the sermon, we're gonna see the heart of hypocrisy. This is verses 38 through 40 back in Mark 12. Mark 12, 38 and 40, and I just wanna say a word about what Jesus says next. He's about to give a warning, and people often think that when you warn other people, you're being unloving. Let me just correct that. Biblical love does not mean that you don't warn people and even tell people that what they're doing is wrong. That's not, it's not biblical love when you just say to everybody, well, you're okay and I'm okay and who knows? No, that's not love. Love is a person who's willing to speak the truth and also overlook faults and little idiosyncrasies that we all have, but here is incarnate love and notice the next thing he does. This is Mark 12, 38. He's in the temple area and he says, in his teaching, Jesus was saying beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They like, uh, Luke's gospel says, they love respectful greetings in the marketplaces, chief seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Second section, the heart of hypocrisy. Jesus was able to see through people. And he said, beware, I warn you, watch out for the scribes. They love to walk around in long robes. Now, when we read some uh, ancient writings on this, it says that the, the, the scribe is easy to see. He wore a white long robe, and it was required of anybody in the marketplace to stop what they were doing to greet the scribe that was coming through. So if you were, you know, maybe you were... Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. And we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633. And in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects. But God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. So if you were, you know, maybe you were looking for a good avocado or an apple and you were assessing things and the rabbi comes by, you have to stop what you're doing. And you have to say, oh, rabbi, wonderful to see you today. And he walked by in his robe and say, nice to see you as well, poor layperson. <laughs> you may kiss my ring. And this is what would happen in the marketplace. Everybody had to stop. It was required, except if you were working on a building or you were involved in a project because they were concerned that a brick might fall on your head. But that's just a joke. But anyway, but that was it. Otherwise, you had to stop what you were doing. So when you came into a room, you commanded that everybody stop and acknowledge you. Now, let me ask you, is that the heart of Christ? Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So this is not any uh, self-promotion here, but I park across the street on the other side of river. I do that so that there will be plenty of parking spaces for the people who come here. Some people have expressed concern about that because Pastor Michael has to cross the street. <laughs> Apparently, that concerns some people, and I understand why. <laughs> I've been hit by a car in the past, and we won't go there, Mother. But anyway, it explains a lot, doesn't it? But, uh, so, but I, I park over there because I don't want to give the impression that there should be a parking space for Pastor Michael okay that, now that's pastor michael's parking space we we don't go there that's where he parks you know his car no, no 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 we're supposed to be servants you guys amen that's that's the way that god has asked us to be in terms of our christian life but these guys and by the way i don't mind when you guys bless me with i just want to round this out by saying, I don't mind when you bless me with Snickers bars and oatmeal cookies and maple (laughs) bars. I don't want you to get the wrong impression, just, anyway. But they want the chief seats, the places of honor. But notice what they do, look at verse 40. They devour widows' houses, and for appearance's sake they offer long prayers. And then it says, and this is quite interesting, these will receive greater condemnation. If you ever wondered, are there levels of reward in heaven and levels of punishment in hell? Yes. These will receive greater condemnation because too much is given, much more is required. Here's what they used to do. These scribes and religious leaders would come across a widow who was extremely vulnerable. The widow would entrust the keeping of the estate in the hands of the scribe. He was supposed to walk her through loss and if she didn't have protection, And the scribes would often manipulate the widow and they would get her to sign over her property to the scribe. And Jesus said, I know what you're doing. And if some talking head comes on a screen and says to people, oh, the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to sign over your social security check to my ministry and God will bless you, I would just say to that person, you ought to be very careful. Because if you're ripping people off, For the sake of financial gain, and you're making false promises that you cannot back up, be careful. The Lord sees through hypocrisy. And this is the final section. We'll move through it quickly. This is the heart of Christ seen in a widow. And he sat down, Jesus did, verse 41, opposite the treasury. This is the area of what's called the court of the women. And he began observing. The Greek word for observing is where we get our English word theater. He sat down and began to people watch is how we might put it. And he began to observe how the multitude were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. So here's how it looked. It's Passover season. The place is just bulging with people. And we find from the Jewish writings that they had in the court of the women 13 uh, trumpet-shaped receptacles for offerings and each of them applied to different things so you can give wood for the temple sacrifice or so you could give to the free will offering or this or that and people would come and they and there was coins back in the day not bills and so if you had a large sum of coins you'd throw it in the trumpet receptacle and it'd go like this and then you look at your buddies and go oh yeah see how much I gave today and it was kind of like sounding the trumpet and when the offering time comes up you know we all we all want to be good uh benevolent givers but you don't really like when someone else is watching you giving do you do you fold your check over or kind of hide what you're sliding in the offering bag you No, know, try not to look at this right now please right well they were doing it to impress their friends they're throwing in the change and then going yeah i gave to god that doesn't mean that big gifts from wealthy people were not appreciated, but Jesus was watching the theater that was going on. See, God was there that day. Have you ever wondered how you might give or how you might approach things differently if you knew God was there? If, if the offering bag came by and Jesus was sitting next to you, would you change the amount that you give? <laughs> Hold on a minute, let me scratch that out. I'm gonna, I am going i do not know. How would we live life differently if we knew that Jesus was right there? But he is, isn't he? Doesn't he live in our hearts? So Jesus was watching the amounts, the attitude, and then he saw a poor widow, 42, and she came up and put in two small copper coins. These are called lepta to the Jews, which amount, for the Roman readers, Mark says they amount to a cent, basically a penny. I was joking with the first service and I said, you know, how many of you will stop and pick up a penny on the ground? Raise up your hand. Boy, you're desperate people. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, a penny is really not worth much. But sometimes people are like, oh, it's a lucky penny. So they pick it up. I have come to a point in life where I assess more profoundly what I'm gonna bend over and pick up. (laughs) Now, this is sad, I must confess. I didn't used to think it through. I just used to pick stuff up. You know what I'm saying? Some of, the, some of the people know exactly what I'm saying. But now I kind of, I make an assessment. Like, is it worth it to pick that thing up? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, what she gave amounted to about a cent, and the coins that she gave were not like coin. They were little kind of frail coins, and when she put them in, it probably made no sound. Can you imagine 13 trumpet-shaped uh, you know, receptacles and people are dumping in large monies and this little widow walks up in her widow clothing, poor outcast, and she drops in two coins that will make no noise whatsoever. Do you think anybody saw her? Do you think anybody was paying attention? Do you know when we move into Mark 13 and we look at verse 1, the disciples want to point out the buildings of the temple. And so they say, Lord, look at the magnificent buildings, the stones, and Jesus says, then, these stones are going down, man. You see, what you think is so important and what impresses you often means very little to God. Do you know what impressed Jesus in the temple courts that day? It wasn't the buildings, it wasn't the impressive sums of money being put into the coffers by the rich, it was a woman. That I almost, almost ventured to bet nobody else even gave a thought to her. I don't even think anybody cared. It, it becomes clear in this account that not even the uh, disciples are paying attention. Look at verse 43. He called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow, look at her, boys. This poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. And his language may mean all of them combined. Wow. You know, sometimes I know when you guys are living your life like me, I wonder, does God see what I do? What I often feel like is such a weak offering, sometimes I say, Lord, did that even matter? Do you see the little things that, Some of us do. We think, you know, some of you, you have very little to give. So the offering time almost becomes an embarrassment to you. And some of you can't give right now. And I would just say to you, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. But look at heaven assesses things much differently than we do. The person that most impressed Jesus that day would be a person that most of us would look past and not even pay attention to. She was a poor widow. And Jesus said, she gave everything that she had. She gave it all. What a, an incredible connection Jesus could make with her, for he was about to give everything on the cross. He was about to lay down his life. He was about to become poor, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that you might become rich. Through his poverty, you might become rich. He did this for your sake. Jesus said, for they all put, out, put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned and all she had to live on. There's no record in this account that she ever knew Jesus saw her. There's no record of an interchange between the two. I don't even know if she knew. Do you remember when Jacob was in Bethel and he had the dream about Jacob's ladder and God appeared to him and spoke to him and he said, Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. Do you know that God is in a lot of places that you don't know? Because you may not have heard from him directly. You may not hear, but he sees. You may not always sense it, but he knows. And he saw her. And he said she gave everything. She didn't hold one thing back. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that she becomes a living illustration of the greatest commandment, to give everything that you are to God. It's not just about your money. It's really about your heart. There's a great commentator of old. He's from the early 18th century. His name is J.A. Bangle, and he beautifully wrote of the poor widow that she gave two, one of which the widow might have retained, but she gave everything. She was silently saying to God, I love you. Here's my heart and my life. It's not much, but it's all that I have. And God was watching her on that day, and he was pleased. And she had a reward from God. I think she's enjoying it right now. Perhaps it is also still ahead of her. She gave everything she could. And here we are, you know, we how do we measure our lives? Sometimes we think... Oh, if I've gotten to the 10% thing, I've come a long way, baby. How many of you can relate to that? (laughs) Started at 5%, okay, maybe I'll give 10%. You know what 10% really means? It means nine for me and one for you, God. (laughs) Did you hear that math? Nine for me and one for you. And when we started at 5%, it was nine and a half for me and a half for God. And then we get to 10% and we think, oh, I'm doing good now. I give 10%, Right? I'm not just talking about money. I hope you all understand what I'm saying. And we say, now it's one for God and nine for me. <laughs> I'm doing good now, right? And God says, wait a minute, time out. That's not, your, your Christian life's not about that. Your Christian life is, I want all of you. You open up your hands to me, and you open up your heart to me, and I'll put into your life and take out of your life as I will. You're gonna call me Lord? Then open up your life. And it's so scary, isn't it? What do you mean, open up? I've just come to terms with 10%. I've just come to terms with weekly church attendance. I used to come twice a month. Well, first it was Easter and Christmas. And now (laughs) we're going places, baby, right? And we think, yeah, and, and I think God says that's great. But that's not all. What I really want is all of you. There's an old hymn. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on out. Here's what it says. It says, take my life and let me be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour it at thy feet, its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult, and we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.